So in this series, Walk by Faith, we're looking at the basics of what faith is and what faith does. And in one sentence, faith holds on to the promises of God. Faith lives as if what God declares is truth. Uh, last week, what we saw is that faith is at work. Uh, faith reveals itself through, through how it interacts in this world. And so last week, we, we saw how when a person has faith in Jesus, it will be evident by the fruit that they bear. There's going to be evidences of faith in a person's life. So faith works. Faith is at work. Faith responds. Faith reacts. But what we're going to see today is that while faith responds, another important thing that faith does is faith also rests. Now, I think I might have hinted at this story of mine a while ago, but I can't remember. And I know for sure I didn't tell you the whole story. So here it goes. Uh, back in 2005, I had an opportunity to do a six-day hike down the Grand Canyon and up again. And for a while, I wasn't sure if I would make the up again part happen, but it did. I got up again, got up again. Um, what I didn't share with you before is the picture of our group. And first of all, my first reaction when I saw this picture in my very old archives was, I need to crop this and fix it. But then I was like, nope, this is what we did in 2005. Like, we didn't take 50 pictures and crop it and filter it. We just took a picture and called it good. So this is genuine, authentic 2005, just a picture of our group that hiked down the Grand Canyon. And before you get too impressed, like, wow, Matt, I can't believe you could do that. The only reason I went is because of the other people who brought me with them. Specifically, third from the left, uh, Dave was kind of the, the organizer of the group. He had been through this hike before. He knew how to get the pass and, get, and when to get it and when's the best time to go. He knew the trail and all this stuff. And he had the equipment that I needed also. Up until this point, I had not done anything more than a two-hour hike. And now I was doing a six-day hike down the Grand Canyon. And just imagine that, carrying on your back, enough things to last you six days. Now, thankfully, we could rewater at the bottom, so we kind of had to go quickly to the bottom on the first day just to make sure we had water. But here's what the packs looked like. And you can see, yeah, he's just, he's like, what are we doing? <laughs> um, but here's what the pack looked like. And again, I had no idea what any of this stuff was before the hike. But Dave, he, he walked me through things. And because of this, I now know that a gallon of water weighs about eight pounds. And he very specifically went through all the things that should be on the pack and some of the things that should not be on your pack because when you're hiking six days through the Grand Canyon, guess what you don't want? Unnecessary weight. So we took great care on this trip to make sure that we didn't have any unnecessary weight with us. And so the night before the hike, I had all my things out on the bed and I asked myself two questions. Number one, do I need this? And then if the answer was yes, then question number two, do I really need this? Do I really need this? Is this worth carrying around for six days as we go on this great big hike? So we took great care to make sure that we were avoiding any unnecessary weight. And what I know about many of you is that you're tired because you're carrying around a lot of responsibilities and expectations and a lot of burdens, but I'm wondering I'm wondering if what's true of me might also be true of you. That there can be times in life where we look at what we're carrying with us and we realize I'm carrying unnecessary weight. The burden I feel, 
I am carrying unnecessarily. So what if you are more tired than you need to be because you are carrying what is unnecessary? Just what if you're more exhausted, more drained than you need to be because you've been carrying something unnecessarily? And some of us, we, we carry the expectations of our family and we have to meet them, we have to live up to them and that's, that's an expectation, that, that's a weight to carry. Some of you are pursuing the career path that you think is best for you and And along the way, you're realizing that you're having to carry a lot more weight than you realized. Some of you are new parents and you have an infant. You can't put that weight down, but you are tired because this is a phase in life where you're having to carry around more weight than you're used to. And sometimes the weights we carry are beyond our control, but sometimes, many times, there are weights that we carry unnecessarily. And what I find remarkable is that when people followed Jesus, Jesus had them stop. And he wanted them to consider what they were carrying with them. Jesus wanted his followers to be well-rested. And part of well-rested is taking the breaks that you need, but another part of being well-rested is making sure you're not carrying more than you were designed to carry. So what we're going to do today is at the end of the message, where we're going to end, where we're going to land, is we want to see a picture of what it looks like to be a well-rested person. And you might think back, oh yeah, I remember my teenage years, when, or I remember my, my 20s, or I remember way back when I was, there was a season where I was well-rested and everything was good. What would it look like this week for you to be well-rested? And specifically, we're going to look at what version of rest Jesus offers, but isn't it true that when you're physically not well-rested, usually it's because of an emotional or spiritual issue behind it? So what if you're carrying something unnecessarily and it's leading you to be more tired, more exhausted than you need to be? And I want to show you what Jesus has to say about being well-rested and what what he has to say about the things that we tend to carry with us. So with that said, I'm going to get out of the way. We're going to look at Jesus' words from from Matthew chapter 11. But before we jump into them, what you need to know about Matthew chapter 11 is that Jesus in this chapter, he's really frustrated because he wants people to have rest in him, but they don't believe in him. And he starts listing off cities. He's like, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, woe to you. And basically he's saying, it's horrible to be you because I was with you, I taught you, I did miracles among you, but, but you do not receive me. You, you don't believe in me. You don't come to me. And so Jesus is disappointed, but maybe more than that, he's, he's saddened by the people who are not, not appreciating the kind of rest that he alone could give. And I want you to know Jesus feels the same about me and you. When we, we get ourselves worked up, we get ourselves filled with anxiety, and we're, we're so you know, consumed by what we have to do, Jesus, he's not so much disappointed, he's, he's saddened, he's, he has compassion for those who are weary and exhausted. And so here's what Jesus said. So at that time, as Jesus is thinking about all the people who were forfeiting his rest, his peace, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. Could you raise your hand if you are wise and learned? Uh, Nobody. Okay. Got to know my audience. And you have revealed them to little children. 
Little children. So, okay. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now, as Jesus surveys this, he says, all right, there's people who are forfeiting my peace and my rest. Why are they doing this? He says it's because it's hidden from them because they are wise and learned. In other words, what's getting in the way of faith? Human reason. Um, I saw a quote this week, and I, I had to share it with you, partly because it's really insightful and partly because I just love this guy's name. So his name is Epictetus, and if you want to raise a successful child, just work the word epic into their name. But Epictetus, this is a philosopher from a long time ago, he says, you cannot begin to learn what you think you already know. If you think you already know something, you're not going to learn more about it because you already know it. But the danger is, a lot of times we think we know something, but we don't. And for a lot of people in Jesus' day, Jesus came talking to them, I will give you life. But these people said, I've, I've learned about life already. Like, I know how to make a living. I know how to make income. And we, we've got a retirement thing. We've got it all figured out. So we don't need to learn about that. And it's the same today where when Jesus comes to us and he says, I'm going to give you rest. And you're like, no, I, I know how to sleep at night. I know I shouldn't have caffeine after 2 p.m. Like, I've got this all figured out. But, but Jesus says, would you just pause for a moment and consider that maybe you don't know what you think you know. And the, the bigger extension of this is that when it comes to matters of faith, something that will just exhaust you is if you try to understand everything about God. And I'm going to put a disclaimer on this. It is good to have have an opportunity to search out your doubts. It's good to research things and to say, wait, what does this scripture really mean? It's, it's good to explore things and try to find answers. What is not good, what is not healthy, is to set the standard and say, I will not believe this unless I understand it completely. If you can understand everything about your creator, your creator is not very big. If you can understand the mind of the one who knows everything, that's going to be something that tirelessly makes you wonder what he's thinking. So I put it this way for number two. You will exhaust yourself if you try to make divine truth fit within human understanding. And again, it's good to pursue divine wisdom, but the important thing is to, to make our human reason submit to God's truth, not to make God's truth submit to our human reason. And I've seen a lot of people just exhaust themselves and exhaust their faith because they're not content unless they understand every single thing. But what's amazing is that God speaks to us in a way where we can understand a lot about ourselves and about him, and we know the most important thing about Jesus. But if you go beyond and try to veer into the mind of God and try to understand it all, that is a place where you will be met with exhaustion and frustration because human divine truth cannot fit within human understanding. So that's the first thing that we see. Why do get, people get tired? Why, why do they get exhausted? And why don't they see the kind of rest that Jesus wants? It's because we are trying to be on the level of God with regard to our understanding and our wisdom. So Jesus said, I praise you, Father, because the peace and the rest I give doesn't come through in intelligence or intellect. You don't have to be wise or learned. You don't have to go to a seminary school in order to get the peace that I give. You have given it to little children by faith. So, verse 27. Jesus goes on, he says, All things have been committed to, be, to me by my Father. 
All things have been committed to me by my Father. So no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And you might think, well, what does this have to do with faith? Well, Jesus is getting at who our faith is in. Now, I know that with you, you've got your commitments that you have in life. You've got your roles, your responsibilities. You've got your things coming up you have to plan for. And by the way, during this season, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety over, we're starting growth groups. Let's see how many groups we can start. Well, we've got North Cross Youth coming up and North Cross Kids, a new year of that. Just when it comes to ministry stuff, this is, there's a lot going on. And maybe you feel that crunch too with school coming up for some of you or just with work stuff. This is either end of year or beginning of year. And there's just a lot of things to focus through. There's a lot of commitments. But what does Jesus say? All things have been committed to me. So number three, I don't want to be too cute with it. Let's just say it for what it is. All things have been committed to Jesus. And if all things have been committed to Jesus... What does that leave for you? What I see in myself and in other people is that a lot of times when we get tired and exhausted with life, whether that's physical or emotional or spiritual, the the reason we get so exhausted and tired is because we think the world is up to us. Everything is up to us. Everything is about us. And if I take a day off, if I skip this, if I don't do this, everything's going to fall apart. And we feel the burden of the world on our shoulders. And it was helpful for me this week just to say this out loud. All things have been committed to Jesus. That means all things are up to him and all things are about him. And that means all things are not up to me and all things are not about me. And that is a good place to be. So when you feel anxiety coming up, and oh, by, by the way, the cool thing is that while all things have been committed to Jesus, one amazing thing is that he then commits some things to you, like your callings in life, whether that's wife or husband, um, grandma, grandpa, whatever your calling might be in your vocations throughout life. Like Jesus commits some things to you, but ultimately everything is in his hands. And I think if, if you want to find a place where you're not exhausting yourself, and you have regular opportunities for rest, you have to say to yourself out loud every day, all things have been committed to Jesus. It's all about him, and it's all up to him. I'm just a part in his kingdom. And that's a healthy place to be. And so in this last part, Jesus gives us one final promise that we're going to look at in this series. Remember, what is faith? Faith is holding on to the promises of God and living as if they are true. So here's what Jesus promises to people like me and you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I love how he put those two words in there because he could have just said, come to me, everyone who's tired, or come to me if you're exhausted. But weary and burdened are two different things. Weary means you're out of energy. Burdened means that you're carrying more than you were designed to carry. And Jesus addresses everything because some days you feel exhausted and burdened at the same time. Exhausted, you have no more energy. Burdened in the sense that you you have no chance to replete your energy. You're in an energy deficit, constantly being drained and drained and drained. And Jesus says, if you ever find yourself in that place, would you come to me? Now, when I was hiking the Grand Canyon, this became very real for me. 
because I, I can't remember if I told you this before, but it was the first day I, I told you we went all the way from the top, all the way down to the bottom, which I, if I remember right, it was like eight or 10 miles or something like that with like 5,000 feet of elevation. So it was, it was tough with a 50, 55 pound backpack on me, like, and no training, like no practice. I was young and foolish. I did not like, you know, get in shape or anything like that. I kid you not, about 200 feet from the end, from where we were going to camp for the night, I collapsed. Not passed out. Like I didn't like almost, I, well, I might've almost died, but I got to a point where just my legs just couldn't go anymore. They had no more energy. And so I just sat down, I laid down, and the, the river was right by me. And I remember thinking, ah, this is horrible. It was just such a horrible, depleted feeling. I remember thinking, ah, it'd just be nice to die right now and not have to deal with this anymore. And some of you know what that feels like. Maybe it wasn't a physical hike for six days that you went on and left you depleted. Maybe it was just a season of your life where things just weren't lining up your direction. And it's like you're constantly fighting against the grain and nothing was going the way you wanted it. And you were weary. You were burdened. And some of you is no fault on your own. I, I'd mentioned, you know, young parents, like that's a, that's, a, that's a burden. That's weariness when you're getting up at night every three hours and there's a crying baby. Oh, I, I know that feeling of weariness and burdensome. So some, some seasons of life, you can't control the burden and the weariness. You just have to get through it and know that rest is on the other side. But for some of us, many of us, and I'll say this as your pastor, for all of us, there are seasons of burden and weariness that are our own fault and nobody else's. Because we decided to pack our bags so full of things that we thought would make us happy and please the people around us, it got so full that we couldn't carry it. We're on a more serious note. There are some seasons of life where you let that sin go unaddressed over and over and over and you keep going back to it because you believe it's promised that it'll make you happy. But it only leaves you empty. Specifically for the people in Jesus' day. As he looked at the people around him, he saw people who were weary and burdened because they had a great burden placed on them by the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Uh, the religious leaders, um, they had this thing called the oral tradition. So there was the Bible, like the written book Bible, but they also had this oral tradition, this, this, these uh, things that were passed down over the years. And basically this oral tradition included over 600 rules for everyday life. So not just rules for when you come together as the church, but rules for everyday life. And these rules, rules were impossible to manage, to remember, to keep up with. And so the religious leaders would constantly point fingers and say, you should do this, you didn't do that, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And people had this burden because they believed the only way to be loved by God was to carry this burden that they couldn't carry. They were weary. They were burdened. And when Jesus saw that, and when he sees your burden, your weariness, regardless of what caused it, here's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will address the burden, and I will provide the energy. 
Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he explains more. He says, take my yoke upon you. And this, this sounds weird because a yoke is like a burden. It's what they, they would put on the animal to make it carry a load or carry a, a, the, the plow. Uh, and Jesus says, I want you to put my yoke on you. Would you learn from me? For, for I am gentle, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the, the thing is, when you're trying to find rest and peace, and when you want to be a well-rested person, it's not always easy to do that work. Jesus might have to step into your life and say, you know, the reason you're exhausted is because of this sinful pride that you're holding on to. And you need to, you need to confess that to me. You need to be real about that. I need to forgive that and heal that so that we can move on. Sometimes the yoke that is placed on you is not easy, but it is light. It's difficult in the moment, but it leads to a life where the burden you're carrying isn't really a burden. And the yoke that you're connected to only leads to freedom. So Jesus gathered people around. He says, I want you to find rest for your souls. You no longer have to work tirelessly to prove who you are because I have already determined that you are a child of God. You don't have to be worried about what will be provided for you. Look at the sparrows, look at the birds, look at the flowers. They don't work, but God provides for their needs. I want you to find rest in me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Be open to considering that you might not know everything you need to know. And sometimes the first way to find restfulness is through some difficult work of letting Jesus inspect what you're carrying. Now, as it turns out, this is not the first time that God promised rest or even commanded rest for his people. If you go back way in the Old Testament to the days of Moses, as the Israelites were leaving Egypt and haven't even come to their own land yet, God gave them the Ten Commandments, among which was this one. God said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So the, the, the system for this Old Testament government, government for the Israelites was that they had six days of work and a one-day weekend. Just to, okay, so six days of work and a one-day weekend. But the idea was that this wasn't just a day of physical rest. This was a day to focus on God, to find rest in him. And then it goes on to under, explain why this is. For in six days, God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, which would have been Saturday, and he made it holy. God rested from his work, not because he was tired, but just think about this. The only time you rest is when you're getting ready to do something else. This is the difference between rest and laziness. Laziness is where you just do nothing, but rest is when you prepare to do something else. What Jesus offers you is not an invitation to laziness, to do nothing, but he wants you to rest because he has something for you to do. And in this life and in this world, it's simply this, to love one another as he has loved you. Even as Jesus places that yoke on his followers to love one another, he makes it very light by, by reminding them, love them as I have loved you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. 
And ultimately, the rest that he provides is not a rest to do nothing, but a rest to, to discern his purpose for your life here on earth. So here's my closing takeaway. I was going to do something like, don't resist a rest. <laughs> but we got some police officers in the congregation. So number four. Remember your Sabbath time? Sabbath is another word for rest. Would you remember your Sabbath time and would you keep it sacred? Keep it set apart so that nothing can touch it. You do some amazing things in your life. The way you love people, the way you treat people, the the way you take care of your family, the way you help your friends, what you do at work, what you do at school. You're, You're doing amazing things. But you need rest. You need rest so that you're ready to do what God wants you and calls you to do in your life. And ultimately, the kind of rest that Jesus gives is is not a rest of expectation, like you better do something now, but it's a rest of peace. Where This this is kind of ironic, but, but the way that Jesus provided rest for you was actually by allowing himself to be completely exhausted. That's actually how he died on the cross. It wasn't just, he didn't didn't bleed out, it wasn't that. But dying on a cross was where you get so exhausted of holding yourself up that you can't physically breathe anymore. He was exhausted. And so doing, he paid the price for each and every one of our sins, where we do too much or we do too little. And as he raised his hands on the cross, he invited us, would you find rest in who I declare you are? And would you find rest in my forgiveness? And that's something that we need regularly. Um, One last thought. The goal, the application for this this message, the goal is not to rest. I know that sounds counterintuitive. The goal is not to rest. So my goal for you this week is not that you would do whatever, you know, um, 30 minutes a day. That's not my goal for you. My goal and your goal should be to be rested. And this week, would you just close your, close your eyes, just imagine, what would it look like for you to be well-rested in Jesus this week? What would that do to your mood? What would that do to your emotion? What would that do to your motivation and your priorities? Can you just imagine what kind of life you could live if you were well-rested and well-grounded in what Jesus has done for you. So would you make that your goal? Make that your vision? I want to be a well-rested person. And in order to reach that goal of being well-rested, I will keep holy, I will keep sacred my time with him. So I hope this was a helpful series as you got to look at faith and what it does and how God uses it. And I find it amazing that God gives us this free gift of faith by which we can hold on to his promises and find hope in everyday life. So as we close today, we do so mindful that we want to leverage this gift to pursue the kind of rested life that Jesus wants us to have. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, this world can be so tricky with the way that it It tells us we should be busy and we should do a lot of things and we'll be happy if we're busy, but but quite honestly, we can find ourselves so empty when our busyness leads us away from you. Each of us are a little bit different. Some of us are naturally go-getters and we do a lot and we we tire ourselves out. And some of us are the opposite, where we're actually tired because we're not doing enough and we, we haven't been pursuing the purpose you have for us. 
But I thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus to provide the rest that we all need. It was when he died and rose again that he declared a new rest for all those who are in him. Let that rest be a regular part of our lives so that we can be well-rested people in him, honoring you and loving people in our lives. Bless the people who are hearing this message. May it be a reminder for them to take up your invitation on a daily basis to find the rest that they need for their souls because you freely give it day after day to all. God be with us and may you bless us as we seek your rest this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.